I don't think God is controlling everything that happens right now. That's a bold statement, but let me explain it. Let me show you a picture of my house. This is my house, what you're seeing right now. Now, in other words, uh, we call it our prison, uh, right? <laughs> That's what you call it, too, because right now we're kind of all stuck in them. And these are the people that live in our house. Let me just kind of show you a picture of them. Those are, that's my wife, Emily, and our four boys. Don't they look really nice? That's our Easter picture that we, that we all took together. They're, they're looking great. Now, it, you can see here that we made them wear khaki shorts, which was the first time they had worn pants without elastic waist in three weeks. Anybody else doing that? Notice all you got on is gym shorts and sweatpants, and they wore collars. Ah, not collars. But uh, we made them get dressed up just for this one picture, this one time during this whole quarantine season. But they're really, really pretty good boys, and I'm very proud of them and, uh, and who they are. And uh, Emily and I, for the most part, control what happens, it, are, are in control of what happens in this house. But that doesn't mean that we control everything that happens in the house. Do you understand the difference? We are in control, but there's sometimes things that happen in the house that wouldn't happen if we were controlling every move. Now, listen, at any moment, at any moment, we can gather everyone in the house and sit them down on the couch and have a come to Jesus meeting. You know what I'm talking about? All right, just a little confession here. How many come-to-Jesus meetings have you had since the quarantine began? Sometimes we have to have some of those, right? But for the most part, we are just in control in a general sense of what happens. But we don't control every activity. Let me explain it this way. So do you remember when you were a kid and you were doing something, you were kind of misbehaving, and maybe another adult saw you, you were at a park or, or you were somewhere, and the other adult said to you, where are your parents? You remember that? Where are your parents? And what they were saying is, if your parents were here and they were controlling your behavior, then what I'm seeing wouldn't be happening. And a lot of people who are outside the faith, a lot of people who... Um, are not sure where they're at in relationship with God. A lot of people are asking questions to believers right now. A lot of people are asking questions to Christians, and here's the question they're asking. Where's your God? Hey, if, if you have a good God and you say that God is, is kind of in control, if, if you say, where is your God? If God is orchestrating things, then why are these terrible things happening? And maybe you've asked that question even right now. Like, where is God in this? And sometimes if we think of God as orchestrating everything, then we can really, God, we can get sideways on with this because it really leaves us with two awful answers. One answer is if, if God is a God who orchestrates things and God is good and then the answer is, well, he's just nowhere to be found. He's not real or he left us a long time ago. That's one answer, that he's just not there. 
And that's why this world has gone up in such a mess, and that's why we have this stuff. Maybe he was never there in the first place, or maybe he got tired and left. Some people think that. The other answer is just as dangerous. It's one that says that God is orchestrating everything. And I just want you to know that sure does make God out to be an awful God. That makes God out to be a God who creates a virus that kills tens of thousands of people and causes people to lose their jobs, that causes an economy to shut down that's affecting people's livelihood. And I don't think either of those are true, and I don't think either of those represent the God revealed to us in Scripture. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to continue to deal with uh, some of the ramifications that we're all facing because of COVID-19. At the very least, our world has been changed. This has been a disruption. And I want to look at situations in the Bible that people face that were as bleak or as dire and sometimes worse than what we face. And they found hope. And I think we can find hope too. Today we're going to look at the story of a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph is the story in about the last 12 or 13 chapters of Genesis are about it. We're going to zero in just on chapter 50, but it's going to take us a minute to get there. Now, I want you to take a look at that paper. If, if you scratched out that thing that I told you to scratch out, if you wrote down uh, something bad that happened to you and something good that came from it, I want you to just take it out and look at it. And then I want you to look at 2020. And just, or just think about the year 2020. And I want you to ask yourself this question, what's been the hardest thing that's happened during this season? What's been the hardest thing about this? Now, for some of you, maybe it hasn't been that big of a deal. You say, I haven't gotten sick, and I'm doing fine financially, and man, that's a blessing. But at the very least, our routine has been disrupted. We can't meet together in our churches, we can't go to ball games. We've lost little league baseball seasons that we'll never get back. We can't go eat at our favorite restaurants. We can't gather with friends for a spring cookout. There's just a lot of things that we're missing. What's been hardest for you? Or maybe you have lost a job, or maybe you've owned a small business and you hadn't been able to pay your employees for the last month, or maybe you've gotten sick, or maybe even someone you know has died, or maybe you've got a loved one in the healthcare industry and they're working hours or they're fearful every time that they go. What's, what's been the hardest thing? And here's the question I want to ask you to think about. Is it possible that something good could come from it? Is it possible? Now what we're talking about is some pretty heady stuff, but it's really important. What we're talking about is something that theologians call the sovereignty of God. Now, sovereignty is a big, fancy word that just means supreme power. And I think that God is sovereign. I think God has supreme power. But I think that what the scriptures reveal to us and Joseph's story so beautifully reveal to us that God's sovereignty and his supreme power work a lot more like the supreme power that at least Emily and I think we have in our house. It's the difference between God being controlling versus being in control. And this is a complex theological issue 
but it is critically important in this season. Because I want to be frank with you. I'm hearing a lot of people say a lot of unhelpful, unhealthy, and unbiblical things about the nature of God in relation to the coronavirus. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about what God is doing. And you know, there's a big difference between God doing and between God using. And I think what we're going to see is that the nature of God isn't that God is a God that controls to make terrible things happen to us. I think is a God that can weave the terrible things that happen in our broken world and use them for his glory and for his good. And it's so important that you understand this because I want you to know something. This won't be the last crisis you go through. And this won't be the last crisis our world goes through. And this won't be the last terrible thing that happens to you. And I want you to know who God is and how God works. And I think if you understand it the right way, there is great hope. All right. I told you we're going to be in Genesis 50. It's going to, we're going to get to it right at the very end because it's at the end of a long story. And it won't make sense, this one verse that I want to share with you today to encourage you, if you don't know the whole story. Joseph is the guy we're talking about. This is not Joseph, the father of Jesus. This is a long time before them. Joseph is one of 12 sons, 12 sons, can you believe that, of a man named Jacob who was Abraham's grandson. Now, sometimes the Bible tells us that Jacob is called Israel. He became kind of like the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. So Joseph was Abraham's great-grandson. He is a part of the lineage that was a fulfillment of God to Abraham, the promise of God to Abraham, that he would grow into a father of many nations, that many people would be born from him. Now, interesting thing about this relationship is we just see some interesting family dynamics. Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. In fact, the scriptures tell us that Jacob loved Joseph more than all the other brothers. And to prove this, to, to show his display of love, he gave him a, a brightly colored coat. They even made a Broadway musical about it. You probably know it, Joseph, and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Well, they already, his brothers already had a vendetta out against him. They were already bitter because they knew how their dad felt, and the coat just made it worse. But then this was the kicker. Joseph has a dream. And Joseph had a gift for dreams. God had given him a special inkling, a special ability to understand what dreams and visions. And this wasn't just a dream. It was really a vision from God. Joseph dreamt that not only, even though he was the 11th of 12 brothers, not only would all his brothers one day come and kneel before him, that even his mother and father would come and bow down before him. Well, you can imagine this did not sit well with his brothers. They were furious. And you know what they decided to do? They just said, let's kill him. They decided to kill him. But there's no money in murder. So they get a better idea. Instead of killing him, why don't we sell him into servitude and make a little money for themselves? So a band of travelers coming through their land on their way to Egypt stop by and they sell him in servitude 
to that band of travelers. And they take Joseph's amazing technicolor dream coat and they rip it all to shreds and they cover it in animal's blood and they take it back to their father Jacob and they, they tell him this, it, this insane fabricated story that Joseph has been killed by wild animals and all that they could get from the scene where this was this coat. So their dad thinks that Joseph is dead. And Joseph is actually now a servant. When the band of travelers get to Egypt, they find a man named Potiphar who was one of the chief officials of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he buys Joseph to be one of his servants. But Joseph remains faithful. He decides it's his job to be the best servant that he can be. So he actually rises in the ranks of the servants. Potiphar thinks so much of him. He's impressed by just how great of a servant that he is. He makes him the head of his whole household. He makes him basically the chief servant in charge of everything that happens in the house so that Potiphar doesn't have to worry about anything. Things are going great for Joseph until Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him and Joseph turns her down. In her shame... She lies to her husband, Potiphar. And she tells Potiphar that Joseph made a pass at her. Potiphar is furious, and of course he believes his wife over some servant. And he has his servant who was kind of almost doing okay at life now. He has him thrown in prison. And now he wasn't just in servit, servitude. Now he was an actual prisoner with zero freedom. But Joseph remains faithful. He decided, I'm going to be the best prisoner that I can be. And he actually rises in ranks in the prison. In fact, the, the prison guards put him in charge of the whole cell. He kind of organizes the whole thing. And then one day, one of the Pharaoh's chief servants get put, gets put in prison for just a brief amount of time. And during that time, he has a dream. And of course, I mentioned that Joseph has a gift, a calling to interpret dreams, and Joseph interprets it for him, and it's a good interpretation. And Joseph just has one request. He tells the servant, he says, hey, listen, listen, listen. Since I did this for you, and, and you can see that, I mean, I'm totally out of place here, right? I, I shouldn't be here. When you get an audience with Pharaoh again, with the top, the, I mean, the king, put in the good word for me. Remember me. Help me get out of this mess. Well, it's not long after that, the, chief's, uh, the chief servant gets out of prison and, and he gets that audience with Pharaoh again. And this is his moment to let him know about Joseph and this great guy in the prison that has helped him. And the servant forgets. And Joseph remains in prison. So let's, let's review this. He's been betrayed by his family. He's been lied about. He's been forgotten. That's really all to kind of put it succinctly. He was betrayed, sold into servitude. He had a pass made at him, and then he was lied that said he did it. He was imprisoned, and he was forgotten in prison. Do you think that other people looked at Joseph? Uh, do you think that other people that knew about his God and how he was always trying to be obedient to his God, do you think other people looked at Joseph and said, Hey, Joseph, where's your God? You think other people looked at him and said, hey, Joseph, why in the world would you remain faithful to this God that it doesn't seem like he's showing up anywhere? In fact, do you think that that's a question that even Joseph asked sometimes? Hey, Lord, 
where are you? If I'm trying to, I'm trying to do things the right way, why are you so absent? Have you asked yourself that question in this season? Have you looked at the news and seen the death toll rise and say, where is God? Has a friend who knows you're a Christian, but they're not, called to ask you or texted you and said, hey, where's your God in this? Have you wondered after you see a friend lose their job because of this? Have you driven up the empty highways on your way to the grocery store, to the pharmacy, and seen the businesses close? And have you thought, where is God? I'll bet Joseph asked that question. And I, I know other people asked Joseph that question. Turns out the writer of Genesis gives us a little bit of clue. In chapter 39, he says this. When Joseph was sold into servitude, Potiphar purchased him, and the Lord was with him. While he was in jail, the Lord was with him. So you know where God was all the time? God was with Joseph. And what I want to tell you, friends, here today is that the Lord was with Joseph and he is with you. He is with you no matter how bad it gets. He is with you no matter how you feel. In the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. He is with you in your loneliness. He is with you in your depression. He is with you in your bankruptcy. He is with you in exhaustion. He is with you in sickness. He is with you in fear. He is with you in anxiety. He is with people in China. He is with people in Italy and Spain. He is with our hospital workers. He is with our politicians. And right there locked in your house day in and day out, he is with you. He is with you. He is with you. And he is with me. Would you just say it with me? He is with me. He is with me. Would you look at somebody sitting next to you on your couch if there's somebody there and look at him and say, he is with you. He is with you. The Lord was with Joseph in jail, sold into servitude. And I promise you, he's with you in this crisis. Two years later, let me, let me say that one more time. Two years later, it had now been 13 years since Joseph was sold by his brothers. And Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can figure out what it means, but he hears of a prisoner who has a gift for interpreting dreams. And he sends for Joseph, and Joseph says, it's not just a dream, this is a message from God. Joseph says, this message from God is to tell you that we're going to have seven years of plentiful harvest. And we need to make preparations because they are get, those seven years should be getting us ready for what will happen after that, which will be seven years of famine. Pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph and his interpretation. He's, he's so just kind of in awe of, of his wisdom that he, he not only makes Joseph second in command of all of Egypt. He makes him the vice president of the most powerful country and kingdom in the world. He puts him in charge of the preparations for the famine. 
And just as Joseph predicted, as God had said, they go into seven years of plenty. And Joseph organizes all the farmers and the government officials to gather all the food that they can. And they they create storehouses in this season. And sure enough, after seven years, they begin to enter into a famine. Two years into that famine, Joseph is 39 years old. And it has been 22 years years since his brothers sold him and lied to their father. 22 years. He was sold when he was about 17. He's a grown man now. And then check this out. The famine reaches Israel. And the old man Jacob well along in years, looks at his sons, the ones that are left, and says, I hear they have food in Egypt. Why don't we go get some? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it felt like, what it, what it seemed like for Joseph when his brothers, not even knowing who he was, <laughs> came and knelt down and bowed before him asking for food just like he had dreamt 22 years ago. Can you imagine what it felt like? Can you imagine the the thoughts that went through his mind? And at the end of the story, when his brothers finally realize who he is, and they're expecting that he will punish them because now he has great power. Or he will seek retribution, that he will exact a judgment on them. With 22 years of reflection, 22 years of wisdom looking back, and seeing what happened and where it led him, Joseph says this in one of my favorite verses, in the verse Our whole message is based on today. And it's a word of hope in this season. You planned something bad for me. You. You had a bad plan. Your plan was to hurt me, to harm me, to sell me, to ruin me. You had a bad plan. But God. Somebody in the home say, but God. But God, but God produced something good from it. And here was the good. In order to save the lives of many people, just as he's doing today. If you had not sold me, I wouldn't have ended up in Potiphar's house. And somehow God used me in Potiphar's house to end up in prison. And somehow used the prison for me to end up in front, of Joe, in, front, in front of Pharaoh. And somehow used that moment and that dream as a time to place me in this position so that hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people would have food so that they wouldn't have. God used what you did bad. I love this translation that you plan something and God produced. The NIV says, uses the same word, you intended harm 
and God intended it for good. The reason they use the same word is because in the Hebrew, it's the same word. It's this word. It's fun to say. It's the word hashav. The B sounds like a V, and the CH is a a hard. You just say that. Hashav. It's typically meant as like an evil plan, devising a plan. Most of the time, evil. If you just think about like the villain in every superhero movie, they're, they're devising a plan. But God throws it on his head. He said, you devise a plan. That's what Joseph said. But God had a better plan. God made a better plan. Jo- Joseph had suffered through betrayal, through lies, through being forgotten, and it might have taken 20 years, but Joseph found an incredible piece and something that I want you to know today and that this is what it means that God is sovereign, I believe, is revealed in the Scripture, is that our sovereign God is still working in our suffering world. Our sovereign God is still working in our suffering world that the God who has supreme power sees us do things that he wouldn't do if he were controlling everything. But sometimes he sits down and has come to Jesus meetings with us. And sometimes he turns things around in our lives and he takes what was an awful and evil and terrible and harmful and hurtful thing and he works good for it. It wasn't God that made Joseph get betrayed, that made him get lied about, or that made him get forgotten, but he devised a plan for good because of it. And you're probably smart enough to know that you look back on your life at that terrible thing that happened and God didn't make it happen, but God used it. And God isn't making you lose your job right now or making you miss a paycheck or making you get sick or making you lose a business or making you get COVID-19 or someone you love. And maybe your suffering has nothing to do with the current crisis, but you were right in the middle of it right when this hit. And God isn't making you get divorced. God isn't making you get cancer. And God isn't making you hurt. But they are part of a suffering world under the curse of sin because we couldn't, (laughs) because we just had to have the knowledge of good and evil when God just wanted us to have life. And because of the sin that came During the fall at creation, we live in a broken world. And as Jenna sang earlier, when it breaks on top of us, we are reminded that this is not our home. And this is not the way things should be. But our sovereign God is still working in our suffering world. He is still working in our hurting world. He is still working in our economic crisis. He is still working in our sickness. This, this is the story of our Lord. He can take a betrayed brother sold into servitude and make him a powerful Egyptian political leader. And he can take he can take a crucified Christ and turn him into a resurrected king. And he can take your ashes and turn them into beauty. This is who God is. And I'm not telling you that the suffering will end now. I'm not telling you that it will end tomorrow. It took Joseph 22 years. But I am telling you that our sovereign God is working in our suffering world. And whatever your suffering 
is happening right now, I want you to know that he is with you. I want to encourage you that he is with you and he is working. And I want to challenge you to be like Joseph. I want you to stick with him all the way to the end, no matter what. 2020. What a year. And April's not over yet. This is going to be a year that you mark with some difficulty, with some suffering, with some pain. But I believe that a sovereign God is working in a suffering 2020. And I believe that if we'll stick with him, that this number, this date, will just become a part of the story of God doing something good in you, in me, and even right there in your home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the midst of our suffering and in our hurt, you're still working. Thank you, God, that sometimes our brokenness is used as a mercy in disguise. Thank you that when the world is broken, you bring healing. Thank you that in suffering, your sovereignty still reigns. Thank you that you work things for good for those who love you. Lord, remind us that you are with us. And give us strength, God, to stick with you. No matter how low the valley gets.